I think the biggest time consuming part of any part of going into real estate and trying a new thing is always the learning and setting up the processes in your team and doing your research. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. STR Nation, want to know how I gained $817,000 in equity in 19 months using none of my own money? Well, if you haven't already heard me talk about boutique hotels, I just recorded an 18-minute case study for my private mastermind group on how I bought a tiny 13-unit hotel in Rockport and more than doubled its value from $2.25 to $5.5 million in 19 months. But instead of keeping this one a secret, I decided to share it with you guys completely free. Just go to www.strsecrets.com hotels to access the case study and promise in just 18 minutes, you'll know why boutique hotels are my favorite STR strategy in 2023. I break down everything from the renovations, the location, the investment, the equity, the financing, and how to take advantage of forced appreciation. So when you have 20 minutes, go to www.strsecrets.com hotels. And now let's get into this week's episode. All right. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B? What's up, my brother? Um, sorry, I was under my desk trying to fix my camera. Me and technology have not been getting along lately. I even went to the gym today and I, I forgot my Apple Watch, so I technically wasted a workout ride because if you go to the gym without your Apple Watch, does it even count? It's the worst. Or if it dies and it's like, oh, it I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get 10,000 steps a day. And it's like, dude, no, dude, I got to the gym, start warming up. I'm like, hmm, I don't think I have, like, I forgot something. I was like, what the fuck did I forget? And then I did this and I'm like, oh, shit, mm. you know, but other than that, life is good. Tasha's family has just left. Uh, so they were here since the middle of March. So it was just a long, yeah, dude, it was a long, a long little while. You guys were running out of places to take them. You started taking them to Costco or where? Dude, Tasha took them to Home Depot and they were so fast. But because like, dude, like the thing is this, right? Like, so for those of you that don't know, Tasha grew up in Angola and in Angola, they're still going to like, when they go to like, when they buy a meat, they buy a cow, they slaughter the cow and then they freeze it. Right. And they're still like, that's still how life is. So like finding things and resources and stuff like that is very difficult. So for them to go to Home Depot, they were just like, wow, what is you know this what I mean? place? What is this place? Right. And then like, it's one of my favorite things about hanging out with family is always like, kind of like sharing their life, their life story. And then every time you get to hear a little bit more and to hear like Tasha's mom and dad grew up, like Tasha's dad, like grew up through like the Angolan civil war and was like in Angolan army and like all these crazy fucking stories. And then to like see them. Being able to like do Tasha's mom being able to like send her little brother to school in the States, pay his school and everything else. You're just like this, like my, my wife comes from a whole fucking lineage of like hustlers. Right. And I'm like, so one, you get to appreciate your wife's family, their story, but then you also get to see 
your partner in her family and her values and like where they're like harsh, like hard head mm-hmm. comes from. He like, ah, I know this girl, you know, it's just like Tasha, you know? So it's very fun. Like to me, it's very like, I don't know. It's something that like I get to appreciate every time we get to do it, you know? Well, it makes you appreciate like how good we have it here. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's obviously so- nothing's perfect and I'll uh, go down the political rabbit hole and blah, blah, blah. But like, if you think of it, like I go over here and I turn on the sink and I have water, mm-hmm. clean water. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's like 80% of the population doesn't even have like clean drinking water. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Like when you think about it. So yes, we have quality it's- problems here and, uh, you know, talking about building wealth in real estate, but I like, uh, yeah, I like calling them, you know, it's a quality game that we're yeah, playing over here. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's all, it's all, it's all in the perspective, but like Tasha's dad went. Tasha was a baby. He was always in construction. He went out to like build a new, a new building and they gave them a house and the house that they gave them to live in while they were doing the construction had walls, but no roof. And so like the story of them, like living through that, having to then build the roof and everything else. It just like, you're there listening. It's like, wait, wait a second. So you guys lived in a house with no roof and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And now you guys are here. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't know. Anyways. A little immigrant rant, but we're very, very grateful. I'm very grateful to like live here and be here and, and just to have our family come here. I don't know. Makes you want to work harder. hundred percent. hundred percent, man. So well, I'm uh speaking of working hard, man, I'm I'm pumped for our guest today. We were just talk chatting offline. The the trajectory of this woman in the last three years is ridiculous. So super excited to dive in. So today on the show, we've got Lindsay Lovell with us. And uh, she's had an explosive, successful start in real estate investing. In just the first 18 months, Lindsay scaled from zero to 36 doors, reaching her goal of financial freedom along the way. Then she started with a focus on the Burr method and then quickly expanded into flips, STRs, joint ventures, and passive investments. Now, only two years later, her portfolio consists of 57 long-terms, 15 short-terms, an LP and two mobile home park syndications. Scaling this quickly involved leveraging various creative financing strategies, including hard money loans, tapping into equity from burrs, forming relationships with local banks, and even utilizing self-directed IRA and self-directed Roth IRA. With her portfolio spanning across multiple states, Lindsay has developed the skills to build teams and get traction quickly, allowing her to be successful investing in different markets. She recently co-founded GVI Capital Management, LLC, which has over 15 million in assets with three funds under management. The unique opportunity that GVI Capital Management offers to investors is access to all the benefits investing in various markets with a blend of vacation rental and long-term rentals without any of the workload it takes to successfully run rentals. Additionally, Lindsay co-founded Wanderlust Stays, a co-hosting vacation rental management company that oversees properties across the country. How she has time to hang out with us today, I have no freaking clue. So, Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I was uh, mentioning to E before you popped on, it's a little surreal because I started listening to you guys and just being in awe. It's a little bit of a fangirl moment to get to be here, seeing you virtually live and getting a chance to be on your show. So thank you. Our pleasure. We're excited. So walk us back because like the last two and a half years have been insane. So what was the trigger, I guess? What were you doing before this? And what was the trigger to get into real estate? Yeah. So I grew up 
hook, line, and sinker buying that myth of get good grades, work hard, get the right job. You'll have that American dream. And being the, you know, teacher's pet straight A student, I did that. I graduated valedictorian, went to college, got that, you know, great job, working private equity, male-dominated industry, got beat up a little, went back to business school, you know, got my MBA, came out ready to like charge the world and found myself, okay, yeah, I had a high pay grade, but I was still running in the rat race. I was still needing to live with roommates in San Francisco. I was, you know, still looking at my wealth front every paycheck going, okay, maybe I can retire at 65 and eke out till I'm 90. And the silver lining for me was COVID hit. And as you can probably tell, I like to be busy. I like to do a lot of things. So I always had side hustles in, in addition to my W-2. And my W-2 is working and calling on cancer clinics and oncologists and nurses. And so clearly when COVID hit, that came to a screeching halt while the industry and my company overall figured out how can we pivot and engage virtually. So I had a couple months there where I, I wasn't doing my normal schedule, my normal travel, my load. And I thought I would learn the stock market. And I very quickly realized I was going to lose everything <laughs> if I did that. My husband was like, let's not do that anymore. You should talk to my colleague, Jason, who owns several hundred doors in Kansas City. And so Jason is one of those wonderful people with that mindset of abundance and said, hey, you know, here's my spreadsheet that at the time seemed so overwhelming. What is COC and, you know, all this IRR and all this stuff and his contacts and listen to these podcasts, you know, in bigger pockets. And so I literally had the earbuds in my ears for the next, you know, two months straight, connected with some other mentors and um, long story short, ended up being kind of guided into looking at a small town in Missouri where you could buy homes for a very relatively easy price. And I had set my number of like, okay, if I invest this much, if I lose it all, we'll be okay. And mm -hmm. so I bought my first house in July of 2020. And from there, away I went. And, you know, I was thinking about it last night, 18 months later, you know, exactly 18 months later, not only were there 36 doors, but that was uh, two months into to G6 Capital the fund. We had just finished raising all the money for our first fund and had just been fired by a previous management company, which had been the impetus to start Wanderlust Stays. So a lot in that first 18 months and uh, this past kind of like eight months have been a lot of going back and building more of the plane since we were sort of taken off <laughs> from the start. Jesus. So mm -hmm. you got the bug basically from COVID. You're like, all right, we got to figure something else out here. Got paired up with a mentor, somebody who's actually out there doing it. What was the first deal that you did? So the first deal that I did was um, from a wholesaler that I got connected through another mentor that said, you know, start looking at here, um, connected with him, I think through Facebook. And it was a $25,000 house that I bought all cash that needed $20,000 in rehab. So, you know, here in the Bay Area, it seemed like I was maybe sending my money overseas to some scam because where the heck can you buy a house? I was going to say, where, where are these markets? They're <laughs> not near yeah. me. No, no. Uh, uh, in Missouri, small, small town, you know, um, I'm a big believer and you don't have to go to the sexy highlighted talked about town, Joseph, Missouri. Um, it is where, uh, Eminem is from. So, you know, does have that. I know most people say Detroit, but he was really mm -hmm. born in St. Joseph, Missouri. Um, you know, we invest in St. Joseph, Missouri too. 
That Do was you really? John and I went to. Yeah. That's why as soon as you said $25,000 in Missouri, I thought about a single family that we bought. And that How was much? John's first property. It was the same thing. They rented for like six fifty dollars or like five fifty. dollars yes. yes. Yeah. It's up to seven seven ten now. Hey. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, and I paid awesome. it for $45,000 and it appraised for sixty two. dollars So I basically had a home run burr. Cash on cash was insane. I had all my money back just about and away we went. And, you know, the most important thing that I would look back and I was very grateful for is I had stumbled onto a mentor that was willing to help me introduce to his team. So I didn't have to go through the process of learning how to build a team while also learning to do a deal and underwrite a deal because it's a lot when you're doing all of that. We say all Um, the time, like your network is your cheat code. Like it it really is the fast lane. Yes. It's like, oh, I've got this issue. I immediately like go to my Rolodex. Who do I know that can help me fix this issue? And sometimes we have to get over that because it felt at first like cheating, being a straight A student. It was like, no, no, I got to figure it out on my own. And finally, you know, one of the people that I went to that actually had the idea for starting the management company was uh, Diego Corzo, who's been a mentor. And it was amazing how sometimes people not in your situation can see things so clearly that you can't. And you're like, oh, yeah, common sense. But, you know, having that role that you can pick up and just say, hey, this is what's going on. It's it's amazing and worth its weight in gold. We love Diego. Great. So great. Yeah. Yeah. The whole family, they're all like both Diego and his brother, right? They're both two of those kind of people that one, they're great mentors and teachers, but then they're the greatest fucking students. And I think that's such a great component of like the whole like infrastructure that like go abundances because that's how we, how we met. Right. And this, this mm-hmm. whole group of people that everybody loves to learn and everybody's like ready to share. And exactly. like, there is the element though, that like, were you always willing to listen or did that take some learning on your side? Was there a little bit of like, I've done wealth raising. I know what I'm doing. You listen to me or were you always ready to kind of take people's feedback? Oh, no. I think, um, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I've had to learn, Um, maybe even especially as a female having coming up in, you know, private equity and consulting, you know, male dominated where I wasn't always given a seat at the table that it's okay to have a voice and an opinion Um, and maybe feeling confident when I did feel like, okay, no, I do do know this. And, you know, on the flip side, asking for help and showing that I, I did need help and being being vulnerable. So, you know, having always been that person who fell in line and marched to orders, I didn't have a problem taking orders. It was probably more, you know, giving back and letting me shine through um, in certain situations was something I had to learn. So I, I'd be curious from your end of it. And I always I always find it fascinating. I guess I just take it for granted because I'm a, a male. But like when we look at our seven figure boardroom, like half of it's females, like some elite women, but from your perspective, right. Kind of going through that corporate private equity side, what do you, you know, for the, for the females out there that are looking to go big and like do some big stuff, what advice would you give them? And what were some of the challenges that, that you face? I mean, scaling so quick. Yeah. You know, I think you're going to be by by certain people, second-guessed more than if a man were sitting here saying, no, this rehab should only cost this much. And I think just knowing that and remaining calm and confident and not letting it knock you down or hesitate 
or get agitated, right? I think killing them with kindness, uh, I think going, you know, beast mode or Karen mode does not get you anywhere, um, unfortunately, especially for, you know, being a female. And I think one of the things I really learned is that you have to be okay self-promoting because we feel like we're tooting our own horn, but men do it all the time. And it's, it's how nobody's going to know, especially in roles like this, what you're doing, unless you go out there and tell them, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have a manager doing your year end report and then reporting up and reporting up and writing to bigger pockets or to you guys and saying, Hey, you should, you know, host Lindsay, like you have to learn to be your own, own champion. And then the network. Absolutely. Join, you know, join groups, get started, go to the meetup, start meeting people because there is such a mindset of abundance and wanting to pay it forward in this community that you will find the right way and the people to help you feel supported. Mm. Mm. I was processing that. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, because thank you guys. Yeah. No, because it's, 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 it's funny because like in listening to you, right. I can just, imagine it right and i can just imagine that like the hardship of like if you sent your husband in even like i assume like on the rehab on the raising money and everything else you're like if i just tell him to say exactly what i'm gonna say am i gonna get a different answer or are we gonna get a different answer probably yes right and so it's in that moment of like choosing do i shine and then risk us taking longer because i'm the one asking these questions or do I play in the shadows as it's always been in history, right? I think there's always been great women behind great men or oftentimes great men in front of great women that in the back of just kind of like being puppet masters, right? So it's like, how do you, how do you choose when to come out of the shadows and actually be like, I, I'm the one calling the shots. And when do you choose to maybe like have this conversation with the male partner, if you even have one, like is your husband, yeah. like, husband kind of help with that or what's the story there? That's a great question. I do have a male partner, but um, it's not my husband. Uh, so the first person who ever clued me into buying short-term rentals was actually my real estate broker in Kansas City, Missouri. And he was like, hey, Lindsay, you should look at buying a short-term rental in Kansas City, Missouri. And I, you know, being from California, was like, vacations there, like, ha, you're funny. <laughs> and it was like, no, no, you know, us not everybody wants to go to crazy California. And, you know, lo and behold, um, ended up buying three there with him. And he was the one who came to me with the idea of G6 Capital and we should go raise money. Because again, I would never have thought of going out to your point and asking for money. And so it's been a really nice balance. And he and I, um, you know, as you grow a partnership, and I'm, I'm sure as you guys have seen, sort of you have your strengths and your, your lanes and where you go, but we have a really great partnership where most things we do together. We pitch mm-hmm. together, we fundraise together, unless it's, you know, our separate networks and we're just maybe meeting them at a Super Bowl thing. But um, it's very together. And I will say, you know, sometimes there are benefits where he's like, no, you know, we got to call the fire captain of uh, Gulfport, Mississippi. I think you should place this call. You know, like sometimes being a female can can come in handy. And then there's sometimes where it's like, all right, well, call in this contractor down and such and such, you know, this is probably a better one for you to take. And I'm not going to, at the end of the day, you also just have to be business minded and fight the battles and not sweat this sweat the small stuff, right? I'm not going to change the world overnight, but the more I can be successful and share that with the other women, it's making a positive impact. And so I don't need to change everybody's mind about, you know, their opinion of where people should sit in the world all over. Mm-hmm. So looking at the portfolio now, are they all in Missouri or are you in different markets? 
Yeah. So my first um, two were in Missouri and then I had gotten the bug and I hadn't quite figured out how to build the pipeline. So I was literally just on like Facebook marketplace every night to like midnight. And I finally found some random person who was selling an eightplex in Murray, Kentucky, yet another place I had never heard of been to. Um, so ended up buying uh, eightplex in Murray, Kentucky, did that as a joint venture, then bought another duplex there. Uh, again, as you start to say more of what you did, I was mentioning to a friend in high school who lives in a small town um, in Colorado. And she's like, oh, well, we know the, you know the guy who's selling you know his portfolio of 19 homes. So ended up with some homes in Lyman, Colorado, which is the last city between Kansas and Denver. And then um, as I got into short-term rentals, the Smokies, it was definitely a, a place that we, of course, had to try our, our hand in. And then since then, um, with G6 Capital, the management company, our whole idea is being diversified into different markets. So each fund has a house in at least two different markets. And then what does the management look like of the portfolio? Yeah. So um, we're a small but but mighty team. So Dalton and I are um, the co-founders of G6 Capital and G6 Management. And we are more on the investment operations side. And then Wanderlust Stays um, is actually run full-time by my brother. So that was fun, bringing in somebody from family and, you know, interesting lessons. And he actually lives in Mexico City because his wife works for the United Nations and is Costa Rican. So uh, they're down there with their kids, but he is able to run it from there. You know, we all know being able to work globally and we have um, a great virtual assistant. So he manages kind of the day in, day out and our boots on the ground and the marketing, all of that and our accounting and then Dalton and I are more the operations, growing the funds um, level. And we have, you know, our weekly meetings and then obviously talk a million times a day if necessary. I love that. Selfishly, I'm like, what does it look like creating a fund? <laughs> you know, creating a fund, um, maybe I should say this, maybe I shouldn't. It's not that hard if you, again, have the right team guiding you, mm -hmm. right? You, I, I think the biggest time consuming part of any part of going into real estate and trying a new thing is always the learning and setting up the processes in your team and doing your research. So, you know, I spent a ton of time over Christmas break interviewing different syndication lawyers and then researching what syndication software platform we were going to use. And then how are we going to structure the deal? And, you know, there's so many different ways you can do it, but kind of like real estate in a joint partnership and deal, there's really so many ways you can do it. There's no really right or wrong as long as it's not illegal. So you can talk to your lawyer once you have an idea and you really can structure it as many ways as, as you want. Ours is pretty straightforward. We don't do a pref. You know, we take anywhere from uh, 30 to 20% ownership, an acquisition fee. We don't charge a disposition fee. We don't charge management fees. You know, afterwards, we really want to make it so everybody's in there making money and then you set how much minimum you want to do. So it really... Up to you. It's interesting. I I got a referral for a very reputable SEC attorney, and I had him talk to the mastermind group. And then offline, he was like, man, you should just start a fund. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, dude, you should start a fund. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. We'll see. Because um, I'm sure it's it's quite a bit of work. And I guess the way that I looked at it was, like you said, I'm not doing that unless I build a team around me because I don't want to manage all that logistics and everything else. I am more than confident if Ian and I wanted to do it, we could raise plenty of money to do a fund. 
Mm-hmm. And he's raised a ton of money to do other deals, but all the um, the administrative and then everything else to me, just like, I'm like, eh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe later. Let's just say that my, you know, first year when tax time came around um, and we hadn't quite transitioned to QuickBooks yet, we we're still on Stessa, mm-hmm. was not a very fun Christmas break. <laughs> so, you know, just have the systems in place uh, if you are going to do it. But yeah, you know, there there are certain aspects that come along with it, but I think you have done a great job. I've heard you guys, you know, the who, not how. Put people in place around you to do it, outsource it if it's not your passion and make the rest happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think I think that's, that's always such a great lesson. I would love to take us to your brother helping you, talking about who, not hows. I was right? waiting I think for there's you a lot of people, button. right? Yeah. Because there is yeah. a lot of people that have the possibility and have the opportunity to in their journey, not just change their own life, but change the life of all their families. I know Mike has done it. We have done it. But definitely there is the element of, um, and it's something that Tasha talks about all the time, friends are friends and the shop should be a part. And I believe that and I don't believe that at the same time. Because to me, it's all a matter of like having conversation, having very strong boundaries and just explaining from the beginning, right? Like this is what we're doing. So what was that like? Like what was the conversation like? What are some of the challenges that you might guys may have had and like how do you kind of like work through that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, you know, looking back, one of the things that we didn't do enough was having those conversations. You know, I mentioned we had just done fund one, we were purchasing the homes, and we technically got fired by our current management company because we wanted to innovate and they kept coming back and saying, You're too difficult. This is how we've always done it. We're not going to. And I was like, I'm just asking for you guys to stock toothbrushes. Like I'm not asking for anything crazy. You know, it blew a mind when I asked for waffle bars. So we were in kind of panic mode. Um, And that's when I called Diego and he's like, look, for how much you pay for all your, you know, short-term rentals and you could hire somebody full-time, you know, not in the Bay Area, but somebody reasonable. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Dalton and I kind of got together and we we threw around the idea and I knew my brother um, was working part-time. And it would be interesting to work with him um, in the sense that, you know, we, we don't, my new year's resolution, ironically that year had to been, had been to connect more with my brother. It's hard when he lives out of the country and we had been close growing up, but not that close. Um, But in the back of my mind, my father and my uncle had a big falling out because of starting a business together. So, you know, there is that big red flag. Um, But we dove in um, partly because I know he's wicked smart and we could do it quickly that could be kind of a catch 22 because there have been times I will say there have been times because that brother sister dynamic where we've gotten into blowout fights on team meetings and we've had to learn not to. Right. And where it's come to the point where it was like, you know, this is going to be the end of mine and my brother's relationships. If, if this, you know, comes to a head where it was, you know, either that my way or the highway. And I think what would have saved a lot of that heartache is having those very clear conversations up front. Here's the expectations. Mm-hmm here's the pay and having everything in writing because it's amazing what people hear and you think you're saying, but they interpret it as, or the memory, mm-hmm. you know? And, so, and you're like, I, I know I said that I'm not crazy, but they, they think they said, so documentation, treat it like a business relationship in that sense would be my, my mm-hmm. biggest advice. Yeah. Yeah. And- I think, I think this is such a like solid advice. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. 
We've oh, no, no, sorry. I was, I, and I was just going to say, before you make any decisions, sleep on it. Because there's been so many times that I've been like, nope, yep, yep, yep you know, and, and then I wake up and I'm like, what am I thinking? You know, the anger. Because mm -hmm. we both have tempers. Yeah, yeah who doesn't? It, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, um, I got a connection from our buddy, Brooke, Brooke Fouts from Vintory, put me in touch with um, Better Talent, and they recruit for STRs in the hotel industry. And we're looking for a supervisor for the new hotel. And he put Matt, who's my cousin and operations manager and I through personality assessments. And he was like, you guys are a great ding dong match, but uh, how does that work sometimes? He's like, you're both pretty stubborn. So uh, how does that work out? So it's, it's interesting when you work with family, because to me, the most important thing has always been family. So it's like, like you said, like you don't want to ruin relationships over business and money. So having those frank conversations without the emotion is, is something to keep in mind for everybody that's working with a spouse or brother, a cousin, whoever, because it can spiral out of control. And I've seen it, you know, personally, but also through our network. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, you kind of said without that emotion. And so addressing those up front and doing it before there's any emotion involved or anything's even triggered anything saves you from getting to the point where it does have to be addressed when those emotions have already been triggered. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So now that you've done all this, how many funds you've done? Two or three? Um, so we just closed our fourth fund and okay. we are raising for our fifth. Got it. So when you say we just closed our fourth fund and raising for our fifth, so explain to people like, are those on specific properties that you already identified? Are those open funds? Do you have a certain amount of time that you have to spend the money by? What does that story kind of look like? And do you get to buy whatever the fuck you guys want? Or is there specific, like, this is what I'm going to, like, I'm going to buy a house that is pink with blue doors, three bedroom, four baths, whatever it is. Or what does that look like? Great question. We did just buy a pink house down in you did? Uh, you Gulfport, see? Mississippi, but it has lime green hey. doors. I didn't pick it. My partner did, but. Um, I made my stomach hurt a little bit. Right, it's, lime it's, green doors hurt my feelings. Yeah, sorry. Um, it it is Alabama, so it is yeah, it is. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it, that's an interesting question you asked because we pivoted. So when we first started, you know, people, you've got to build that trust, right? Like we know we can do it. We think, but people really want to know and they want to be tangible, especially because you're going to your network and these are often people that haven't. They don't know what an STR is. They don't know, you know invest real estate, all that kind of stuff. And so the first three funds we did, we would buy the vacation rental homes and we would use our own money to get them under contract. But the insanity of that is then you have, you know, 30 days ticking to set up the FUD, raise the money, get people to wire that, you know, it's one thing for people to like sign some papers and say, yeah, I'm going to give you the money, but then wire it. And you'd be amazed at how many people can't figure out wiring and they're wanting to send you checks and you're, you know, getting these $50,000 checks in the mail and it's maddening and, um, and then get it all to close. And in the meantime, mm -hmm. you're praying it still appraises and the bank, you know, so it's been the first three funds. We basically did it that way. We had the houses identified and it was a lot of stress, especially when we we're buying in North Carolina, because you have to put down not only earnest money, um, but I forget now what a diligence money and you lose the diligence money. I was going to say, it's like hard. The money goes hard immediately. Yeah, exactly. And this was in the heyday. So sellers were like, oh, $10,000. I'm like, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and that's mine and my partner's money. Um, this, the last one we did, it was actually a group of gentlemen that came to us and said, we want to do this together. They're all friends. Um, and so we had picked out 
you know, a couple to pitch them and, and show them as they kind of rallied the rest of the investors. But we gave them an idea and then went out and said, you know, similar, here's what we're going to target for X, Y, Z. Now that we're pivoting more and have learned, you know, a little bit that we just can't live under that type of timeline and stress and stay sane in our marriages and relationships. Um, we are, and have the credibility too. We have the track record now to show. Um, we are going out and showing, hey, if we bought a blend of eight long terms and one or two short terms, here's what we project. And we're raising the money beforehand and then going out and buying the purchases. So when I say we closed fund four, we've raised all the money, the money's in the bank. We have several under contracts. We're wrapping up buying the rest of those. And in the meantime, we're starting to raise money for, for fund five. But we won't take people's money. You know, there's all these things, you know, conflict. You don't ever want money, people's money sitting. And there's all things you kind of think about is we, we want everything to be closed and purchased. So nobody can ever say, oh, well, you cherry picked and bought a better home for this fund versus that fund. And, you know, that's kind of where it gets tricky, I think, when you're, when you're dealing with funds versus just like partnerships. So just keeping things very clear cut is one of the things we try and do in terms of the, how we run our funds timing wise. When you're putting it together, are you like, all right, well, this fund is going to target these types of properties and we're targeting these types of IRRs and cash on cash and all that. Like, do you have to spell that out and like be within that range or like, how does all that work? So especially the first couple of funds where we had the homes, you know, we had the numbers and we would go through the spreadsheet. My partner built his own specific model that we would run it under and it would, you know, underwrite each house and then it would be a blend. And so we would literally take the investors through and say, you know, here's what we know about insurance and Airbnb 3%. And if we're on other bookings and, you know, and, and write it down and then build it out, you know, up to the five year mark. And our goal is to exit in um, five to six years with at least two uh, X. So your money plus double. Um, is, is, was our, is our return. And that's why, you know, I say sometimes we take anywhere from, you know, like 30 to 20% ownership because we want the numbers to work, especially when you're getting started. So we were always willing to say, well, if, if we have to take a little bit less equity on the back end, a little bit of the cash flow to make this deal appeasing, you know, and appealing for people, then, then that's great. Um, cause we're in it to help everybody and to, and to make money. So, um, you know, and there's, it, it Back when we first started, people were expecting a very high cash on cash return. And there was that pressure. And now, and it's also different when you're dealing with people that have a uh, large wealth and just need to kind of park their money, um, a mm -hmm. six to 8% cash on cash return is great for them. They're not in the stock market. It's steady. They're building equity. Uh, you know, other people do want that more exciting, you know, 10 to 12 to 15% cash on cash return. And that's why we do a blend of, you know, we've learned we can throw in more short term rentals for those that want more risk, but maybe potential higher return versus all long-term. So that's been fun too, mm -hmm. like kind of playing with it, being able to individualize to our investors in each fund. How has the landscape been in terms of raising money from fund one to fund five? Because obviously the landscape in terms of money, economy, recession, interest rates, all the yum yum has really changed. So like, what has been your experience and what's the reality of like being in the syndication, raising funds arena between right after COVID in the height of the market to whatever this time period of life is called? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I mean, it was interesting. I think it was fund three that we were just rolling out the day that 
the Ukraine war started and it was just like, oh my gosh, is this going to be the beginning of the end? And, you know, it was, it, it still rolled and people were, were still there. And I think there was definitely some hesitation. Um, and fortunately, we weren't on a big, you know, we weren't actively raising right when like um, Silicon Valley hit but we started right after that. And so it just took more education on what that means for us to our loans, giving an example, talking about how our personal portfolio has or has not been impacted. And, you know, I think in some ways it's almost made it easier because the stock market was a big competitor before Bitcoin. You know, I had somebody who really wanted to invest, but nah, sorry, Lindsay, Bitcoin's doing too good. I'm putting all my stuff in crypto. Now, don't have any money, so there's no, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah, that that's true, you know, unfortunately. But you know, now it's like, okay, like real estate, if you can really, I think what I part of what I love is you get to educate. And if you can really show people the fundamentals and it's not just the cash flow and they understand, you should be able to sell them anytime. I love that. So, for anybody that is saying that it's impossible to raise money right now or is it possible to find deals or whatever the story is? And that was a point to my question, right? And I yeah. think that has been the main kind of vibe that I got from you through this entire thing is like, whatever your excuse is, I think you've been a pretty great example of like, sure, if you want it, you can have it as an excuse or you can make something else about it, right? Because it's like a woman raising money, a woman in business, uh, long distance investing, multiple companies, doing business with family, raising money through a recession, and here you are. You know what I mean? So whatever your excuse is, I think she's a great example that you don't mean shit if you don't let it. Thank you. It yeah. It's been a hell of a run. It's been a hell yeah, of a run. Shit. And I'm yeah. excited to see where you months. go in the next 24 months. So Thank yeah. Thank you. Well, before we get into the uh, into the last question, I want to first acknowledge you. And again, thank you for coming on here and sharing your story with us. And again, congratulations. I mean, that's freaking amazing yeah. what you've accomplished in such a short period of time. So kudos to you guys. And um, for the folks that would love to learn more about the fund and you guys and what you have going on, where can they get in touch with you and find more info? Yeah. So I am really passionate about connecting uh, with people. So if people want to go to millionaires, March free strategy, strategy they can sign up for 30 minute, just meet, love to talk, connect. Um, if they want to learn a little bit more about all the companies, you can go to the millionaires, And that has all about my journey, Wanderlust Days, G6 Capital, Opportunity, if you, again, want to connect and see if there's any way I can help or mentor. Um, and then, obviously, I eventually had to get on board with social media. So I'm also at Lindsay Zane Lovell um, on Instagram, and you can find me on TikTok and Facebook as well. Love it. Love it. Well, the last question that we ask all of our guests is, what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? Well, you know, I thought about this before I came on and I was going to, I was planning on saying plan for everything and expect something that you didn't plan for it to still happen and to remain calm, cool <laughs> and get through it. And somebody else has probably done it. So reach out and find. But I think after talking to you guys, maybe sort of my secret without even knowing it was not taking no, not taking the first no, you know, to find the relationship I have with my bank and my lender. I literally called 
And I had the list still, 49 different banks. So I found one that would do lines of credit on rentals and that would work with us to do LLCs in the way that we do it. But if I had stopped at the first three or four or nine, I don't think I'd be able to run my business the way I do. So don't take no. There's somebody out there that's going to say yes. It just may not be an easy yes would be kind of the secret. Boom. Grit and persistence. I love it. Love it. Well, Lindsay, thank you again for coming on here. Really appreciate it. And like I said, looking forward to see all the amazing things that you guys do over the coming years. So thank you again. Thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.